Well, good morning. Sorry, I'm a little delayed getting up. We're switching drummers and sound people and, and stuff like that. And um, I'm running sound today, so <laughs> I had a little delay. But uh, I, I'm so glad to be with all of you this morning. Um, if we've not met, my, my name is Ken, and I am the, the pastor here at, at Crosswinds. And we're in a series today called Hot Topics. And uh, that's where you, the church, has chosen the messages or the, the questions about what the Bible says on different issues, and I'm going to do my best to, to answer them. And our message today is called God and Death. Now, death is a subject that many of us don't like to talk about. However, it is something that most of us have a lot of questions about. You know, before I became a Christian, I didn't like to talk about death either. I, I was terrified from the moment I realized it was a part of my life. I remember as a kid, closing my eyes every time we drove by a cemetery. And, and songs about death just freaked me out. And, and movies about dying really disturbed me. And I avoided the topic completely until I was about 28 years old and I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And, and Ken, the old Ken, died that night and instantly my fear of death was gone. Um... And before I became born again in Christ, I, I hated funerals. But after trusting in Christ, I find funerals for believing friends to be joyful. I be, have become so comfortable with death because of Jesus, I have to be careful as a pastor not to be too casual and joyful or joke too much when I do funerals. Because I find them joyful, especially for believers. Um, and sadly, I think of my, the funniest things to say are the best jokes when I'm doing a funeral, and I, I can't say it. Um, and, and friends, it's not that I am pro-death. It, it's that Jesus has made me pro-life. See, Jesus promises real life that comes in death. And, and there have actually been times where I've been jealous of brothers and sisters who have died because I know that they are with Jesus and they are more alive today than I can imagine. You know, I believe we all can be a little uncomfortable about talking about death. You know, we spend a lot of time in our lives trying to avoid it. We, we go to doctors and, and we eat healthier and, and we exercise and we buy safer cars and, and most of us take reasonable precautions to prevent it. But the truth is, we can't prevent it. At best, we might delay it. And I think one of the number one reasons we don't like to talk about death is we really have no control over it. I worked in hospice, and I could never predict when people would, would be passing, even in that arena. We don't know when or where it will happen, but we all know it's coming. And especially as you get older like me, it seems to be more present. You see it happening to yourself. You start losing hair. You, you, you start um, not healing as quickly. You start having more aches and pains and, and, and more saggy skin. And you start losing friends from high school and, and people that you love. And, you, you know, and I, I, I believe even if we don't believe in God or whether we do believe in God, we all kind of feel this existential threat to us in quiet moments. And so the question this week is, burial versus cremation, what does the Bible say? Well, my wife Kathy 
she's very practical. And I remember she brought up the topic when I didn't like to talk about things like this, about what to do with our bodies when we died. And she is practical and cheap. And so uh, cremation seems logical to her. She sees it as being environmental. And even though when I became a believer, the idea of cremation really disturbed me. I, I, I didn't want to make it any harder for God to get me back together to go into heaven. <laughs> but the question is not about what's practical, and it's not about what we feel comfortable in. The question is, what does the Bible say? And so the first thing I want to say, whether you choose burial or cremation, or if you've chosen that for somebody else, if you're a believer in Christ, God will resurrect you, and you will join Jesus in his kingdom so how we deal with these bodies is, friends, not a salvation issue. However, there is a significant financial difference between the two options. The average cost of burial in the U.S. is between $6,200 and $26,000. The cost of cremation can be anywhere between $800 and $4,200. And actually, this whole funeral industry of death is a big racket. You know, people are very vulnerable dealing with the loss that death brings. And quite a bit of theological lies and manipulation of our emotions happen in those situations to get us to spend more money. You know, for example, you can buy an urn on Amazon for under $100. You buy that same urn at a funeral home and you'll pay $600 for it. There's a service I found last night and searched it through Amazon. It's called Overnight Casket. You can buy a casket for about 1500 bucks. It was nicer than the one I spent $3,200 for my aunt for. And it has an overnight one. It has a 30-day money-back guarantee or a refund or replacement. <laughs> so how does that work? <laughs> Something to think about. I, I was arranging a, a service for my aunt when she died, and the funeral directory actually told me to buy a more expensive plot. That way, on her resurrection day, she would be able to pop up and see the large statue of Mother Mary by the lake. <laughs> you know, theologically, that's ridiculous, isn't it? And he's telling that to a pastor to get more money out of me. Um, I knew I shouldn't trust a man with a picture of the Pope playing hockey in his office, you know? up in Wisconsin. Anyways, uh, we had a Green Bay Packers on the other wall. Uh, what the Bible says is to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So any upgrades that we are supposed to make to make your loved ones more comfortable in the grave are kind of useless, okay? Because we're going to be present with the Lord. And so if you ever need to plan a service for someone you love, remember good theology can save you lots of money. And I'd be happy to talk with you about that when that time comes. It'll only cost you a few, <laughs> few bad jokes. Just a few bad jokes, okay? Um, yes, as families, we do need to make decisions about what to do with our bodies and the bodies of those that we love. And it's a decision, though, that affects the living, not the deceased. And the decision can be a very emotional one, it's, it's how you feel about burial versus cremation. For some, thinking about a body being burned is traumatic. And for others, like my wife, thinking about paying high costs for burial is very traumatic. I, I think we should honor those we love, and we should honor their wishes in death. And it makes us a lot easier when we get to those times if we've talked about it in advance. 
So I think it's important to kind of settle this in your mind. But the question is today, what does the Bible have to say? Are there spiritual things that we need to consider? And I would say yes, but those things are debatable in the sense that they affect people's conscience, what they feel is right, not their eternal destination. And I I think we're very blessed if we comfort those who mourn in whatever their family chooses. So whatever somebody chooses, I think you support them in it. But traditionally, Christians have practiced burial over cremation. And I believe this comes out of Judaism and cultural traditions and wanting a symbol that best represents Christ. In the Old Testament, the the burning of a body symbolized judgment for sin. Achan in Joshua 7 disobeyed God's word, uh, taking devoted things um, as spoils of war after Jericho fell. He directly violated God's covenant with the nation of Israel, and the nation lost God's protection and blessing. 36 men died in the next battle because of his sin. And God uh, judged Achan, and his body was burned to show the nation's judgment for breaking God's covenant. Burning by fire symbolized judgment. But I want to tell you, biblically, fire also can symbolize atonement or purification from sin, like when the fiery coals from the altar touched Isaiah's tongue to purify him from sin. But ancient cultures believed burning someone's body was cursing them, making them incapable of being resurrected. In Amos chapter 2, God brings judgment on Moab for desecrating the body of an enemy king's son by cremating him with fire. In Leviticus 21.9, it says, And the daughter of any priest who, if she profanes herself by whoring and profanes her father, she shall be burned with fire. It was a sign or a symbol of God's judgment to the people. But I want to say that none of those biblical examples of cremation mean people today will be judged for choosing that option. And what I I think is important to recognize is that Israel practiced a burial to show respect to the body because they believed in the body being resurrected. And when Jesus came, there were two main sects of Judaism. There were the Pharisees that believed in the resurrection of the body and the Sadducees who did not. That is why they're sad, you see. That was for Jason. Anyways, um, who, who <laughs> I'm sure he's in his car going, Arr! anyways, <laughs> who was right, though, in that argument? Who was right? Well, it was God. See, God had the idea of resurrection of the body, and that comes from the scriptures that both uh, groups claim to read. In Job 19, 25 through 26, it says, For I know that my Redeemer lives. That's where the song came from today. And at last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has thus been destroyed, yet my flesh shall see God. See, Job trusted in bodily resurrection. And so did the prophet Daniel. And many of those who sleep, this is from um, Daniel 12 too, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall wake some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. See, early Christians practiced the custom of burial much for the same reason. They wanted to show respect to the body because of their belief in the resurrection, because what Jesus promised was their own resurrection in the body. Jesus says this in John eleven twenty five: I am the resurrection and the life. 
And whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And see, Martha, his friend, was a Jew, and she's grieving over her brother Lazarus. And she agrees with him that there is a resurrection on Judgment Day. But Jesus' statement is saying something very different. He is saying, as he himself is the resurrection. And it's not about a dead body, because he adds the word life to it. Real life, or true life, begins for us in his resurrection. Eternal life for us is because of our belief in his resurrection, not in the condition of our body on the last day. Actually, the Bible would say right now that we are dead in our sins before we believe in Jesus and his resurrection. So real life begins when we believe. And Jesus does say we will physically die, but spiritually we will be alive forever through our belief in him. We will be raised with him. But first, we must die. We must die to our sins. Romans 6, 2 says, do you, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And friends, our baptism is a step of obedience that believers make to identify with Jesus' death, and burial, and resurrection. But baptism does not save us. It just best symbolizes what we believe about our salvation to the world. It's a witness. It, it symbolizes the three most important points of the gospel that we teach here for gospel conversations and that we believe as Christians. 1 Corinthians 15, 3-6, Paul clarifies what the gospel is or what the good news we believe is. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised and on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve, and he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are asleep, though some, or most are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. See, Jesus is dying, Jesus is being buried, and Jesus is rising on the third day are all necessary to believe in the resurrection. And so the Christian practice of respecting the body in burial was a symbol to other people in the community and other nations of their belief in Jesus. But friends, just like baptism, we are not saved by burial method. The Bible says we are saved by God's grace through faith. It's a gift of God. That gift was Jesus Christ who, who died for our sins and was buried and who rose on the third day. Now, the Romans, during the early history of the church, were aware that Christians believed in resurrection. They believed in the resurrection of the dead. And so they tried to use that belief against them to destroy the early church. They started burning the bodies of those that they tortured and put to death that were Christians. And they hoped it would discourage this new movement. Uh, first church historian, Eubius, Eubius, a bishop born in 260 AD, shares this about the Romans' treatment of the Christians they killed. Thus the martyrs' bodies, after six days, were exposed to every kind of insult and opened to the sky and were finally burnt to ashes and swept 
uh, away by these wicked men into the Rhone. So they were, you know, they were just made complete ashes and just disposed in the river. And that not even a trace of them might be seen on the earth again. And as they did this, as, as if they could defeat God and rob the dead of their rebirth, in order that they may have no hope of resurrection. The belief that has led them to bring this new country, a new foreign cult, and treat torture with contempt, going willingly and cheerfully to their death. Now let's see if they will rise again and if their God can help them and save them from our hands. And so this was an issue in the church. People were worried. At what, what, my relatives, what, what's happening? They've been burned with fire. And um, there was an early Christian apologist, Minas Felix, who wrote this as a response to, to calm the church's fear about losing loved ones forever when remains were destroyed by fire. He says, do you think that if anything is withdrawn from our feeble eyes, it perishes to God? Everybody, whether it is dried up into dust or it is dissolved into moisture or is compressed into ashes or is attenuated into smoke is withdrawn from us but is reserved for God in the custody of the elements. Nor, as you believe, do we fear any loss from the sepulcher or the grave, but we adopt the ancient and better custom of burying in the earth. See, therefore, how our consolation, all nature, suggests a future resurrection. See, burial was their custom or tradition, but even the early church did not believe it was necessary for their salvation. Friends, around death, we have many different practices. There are traditions and there are customs about the, the treatment of the dead in all cultures. And, and those customs create many biblical error, errors in, in how we view what happens when we die. Honestly, it breaks my brain sometimes when I see untrue things that even Christians post on their social media when somebody dies. Friends, at Crosswinds, we believe the Bible is the final authority of the truth about ha what happens when we die. And I believe the greatest comfort to people experiencing loss through death is the good news of Jesus Christ's bodily resurrection, not the lies of our traditions. You know, the Apostle Paul wrote a, a letter to the Corinthian church about the resurrection of Jesus because already in the, in the first, you know, 10 or so years, errors started to come in. And he wanted to clarify those errors in the church about how we are saved by holding on to the truth of the resurrection in the gospel. And, it, and, and there was a section of it... Um, that came later after he kind of clarified the gospel. That was that section that Charnay read earlier and very well. Thank you. Um, he explains what the resurrection will be like. And he does this to defeat the lies our culture tells us about death. And so today, if you would open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and, and, and I want you to look closely at what he says. Verse 35, he says, But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. 
And so Apostle Paul is answering a hypothetical person or, or, and a question from someone who is confused about the resurrection. And this question is still relevant today as many people are confused about what happens when we die. Some people may ask, is what he says, how can the dead be raised? And, th- and they ask that because they, they, they're thinking from a, a naturalistic point of view and they see no scientific explanation of how a dead body can be revived. But friends, that doesn't mean it's not true. History and also scripture, which is part of history, said it was true of Jesus. How God does it, since he's God, doesn't need a natural explanation. Others believe that the soul goes on after death, but they do not believe that the body will be raised. Many people believe that we'll just be disembodied spirits. And still others believe we will be reincarnated into another person or an animal. And these beliefs, friends, are not Christian. Even if they get mixed with the culture and tradition of churches. What matters, friends, is not what you believe or what we believe. What matters is what is true. The resurrection, friends, is a reality. And the Apostle Paul is giving witness to what he knows to be true. He says, this is the fact. Because he's met a resurrected man. And he's claiming that Others did too, 12 other apostles and 500 brothers who witnessed Jesus walking around for three days, uh, after three days of death, and he walked around for 40 days. Paul says it's fact, it's, it's not speculation, it's not just some fanciful wish, it's not a, a tradition, which is what a lot of people speak. The apostle John writes another uh, witness that I think is important about Jesus resurrected. He said, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world, and by this you will know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of of the Antichrist, which you heard and was coming and is now in the world already. Other beliefs, Christ consciousness and, and um, you know, that Christ was just a spirit, you know, that, that came. Those are all satanic. They're all not in the Bible. And friends, what they do is they lead people from the tr- truth. Jesus came back in his body. And he came as a human being, fully man and fully God. And that's what we believe, that, that Jesus came from heaven. He was a man in the flesh, and he was crucified. And on the third day, he was raised in the flesh. And Jesus is the one who told us exactly what happens when we die. There are not multiple possibilities for what happens when we die. There is one path, and everyone will take the same path that he took. Sometimes people get, well, what I believe, what you need to say is, well, what the Bible says on this issue, because it's critically important to people's eternity. Beloved, we live in a culture that is obsessed with death, and and we're 
constantly trying to escape it by ignoring it or, or trying to prevent it or seizing the day before it happens and, or trying to comfort ourselves with fanciful traditions and stories around it. But instead, Jesus came to prove to us how to have life abundantly through it. We don't seek to avoid death. We embrace death as a path to true life. Most of the way people think about death is, is foolish, according to the Apostle Paul. Asking questions like, what kind of body will I have? Will I, will I be reincarnated into a squirrel? Will, will I become a spirit? Will I, I simply cease to exist? Are all ways of thinking about this current body we have transitioning? But friends, resurrection is not a transition. It's a recreation. And Paul describes our bodies as a seed. Seeds, what do they do? They create something new. But to create something new, the seed must die. And if your religious or secular philosophy is to try to escape death, then you're just trying to preserve this life. See, the Greeks and the Romans and the Egyptians all tried to preserve this life after death. The Egyptians even created mummies to purify the body. And they buried their people with belongings and, and boats and weapons and food and even servants to care for them in their body in death. And many pagan cultures do this. They, they bury people with supplies for them in the afterlife. But friends, if we're just dead seeds, what do we need? What do we need? What does it matter how we're disposed of, whether buried or cremated. This body will not be needed. It needs to die because we are seeds. Think about this illustration. No farmer cries when they put a seed into the ground. Friends, it's not a loss for them. They are looking to gain a crop by the seeds that have died. They are looking for an increase of life. The Apostle Paul said that in Philippians 1, 21. It says, for me, to live, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Christians, to us, death is not a loss that we are trying to preserve ourselves from. It's a gain of everything that life should be. All life is found in Christ, not in this body or in any ashes. Our bodies are merely like dead seeds. And in verse 37, Paul says this, And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. See, all bodies that go into the ground, they'll eventually decompose. They'll eventually become dust. And some people fear cremation because they wonder if God can resurrect them if there's uh, uh, you know, not enough of them to do it with. Paul would say that's foolish thinking. When you plant a seed, the seed dies, and it becomes something new. And, and we don't plant a seed expecting another seed, do we? We, we? we expect something new, something alive, a plant. Paul's using this natural analogy that everybody in every culture can easily understand. And the fall seeds go into the ground. During the winter, it, it seems like nothing is happening. It looks like everything is dead and gone. But in the spring, new life is born. 
and there's no more thought of a dead seed. Something fresh and new and better is born. Verse 38, um, but God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of a seed his own body. Not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. See, it's God who gives life. He gives the seed a new body, just as he has chosen. If It's interesting, these verses are the creation order in reverse in Genesis, if you look at it. It's a, a reverse of the creation order. And so just as God is sovereign over the, the creation, he is sovereign over death and our recreation. He chooses what kind of body we will have. In creation, God created different kinds of animal with different types of bodies to adapt to life on this earth in different kinds of environment. In heaven, we will be giving new bodies suited for heaven's environment. When Jesus was resurrected, his body was different. He could appear instantly in one place, miles away. He could fly. He could shapeshift. He could be in a room with all his friends, and nobody would recognize him until he revealed himself. Now, his body was somewhat the same. He could embrace them. He could eat with them. But it was different. There was no blood. Thomas put his hands into the holes in his side and, and into his um, uh, hands. But Jesus didn't bleed all over him. He didn't bleed out. And Jesus said to him, see, I am flesh and bones. Isn't the expression usually flesh and blood? I'm flesh and bones. See, resurrected bodies may have a whole different circulatory system that is very different, adapted for a heavenly environment. And Paul continues in verse 40, he says, there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of heaven is of one kind and the glory of earth is of another kind. The, there is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star in glory. The first thing God created in Genesis were the heavenly bodies, the heavens and the earth. And in the new creation, the, the first new creation is a resurrected man, Jesus. He is the first fruit of the new creation. Paul says that. And he doesn't need any elements of this world like dust to recreate. We are birthed by the spirit of a man of heaven. Thinking that God needs a piece of dust or a molecule of our DNA to recreate us is natural thinking. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him god chose us before the creation then what makes us us is something greater than our earthly bodies because he chose us before the creation of the world and 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 what makes us us is what god has imagined us to be in ephesians says loved and that we were predestined to be adopted as the sons and daughters 
through Jesus Christ. Not anything in our flesh or our bodies do we have redemption through his blood. We have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of our trespasses. It's not according to the flesh or good DNA left over. Instead, it's according to the riches of his grace. Psalm 139 says, Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. Not a body. He knows you. The psalmist says, Where will I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? What makes you you is never lost from God. So how the body or the seed is treated after death changes nothing. Paul points out there are different types of glory for different types of heavenly bodies. There is a glory to the body you have here on earth because God created it. And there's a, a different glory for your heavenly body. God created all these bodies with different purposes and for different environments. In in, in the new creation, your body will be gloriously suited to a new creation. It's more glorious than this body made of dust, which I'm very thankful for because this body is kind of falling apart. And and verse 42 says, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, And what is raised is imperishable. To the question, how are the dead raised? Paul does not give specifics on how it happens because we wouldn't understand it. We don't understand the new creation. He gives us how the resurrected body is different since it's in the new creation. Because we couldn't possibly understand how God did this. This body, this seed, that we're in right now is perishable. It's, it's, it's given to corruption. The, the natural laws of thermodynamics apply to this body. It's, it's, it's breaking down. See, sin breaks us down both morally and physically. But God loves us so much that he gave his sons so that we would not perish. This seed dies, but what is raised is imperishable. It never dies. The Son of God defeated sin. So in the new creation, there is no death. And the laws of this creation, like thermodynamics, do not apply. Many other natural laws like gravity don't apply in the same way. They don't apply to this new body. That's why Jesus could ascend. Paul says this about these bodies. It is sown in dishonor, and it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, and it is raised in power. Because of sin, our bodies are dishonored by ourselves, and they are dishonored by others. They are given to corruption. It is the nature of these bodies in this creation. And and friends, we can't perfect these bodies through efforts of culture or religion or secular self-improvement ideas. We must die to be improved, to be raised or resurrected in power in glorious new bodies. See, Jesus was not improved on the third day. He was not improved. He was recreated. He was resurrected. 
Jesus was not just brought back to life. He became the life. A human life without the corruption of sin. As a man, he never sinned, but he was tempted in every way in this fleshly body of sin that we have. But Jesus persevered sinlessly, defeating sin on the cross, putting sin to death in his physical body. Psalm 16 says this about him after he died. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. See, death could not hold him because there was no moral corruption in him. The old man, Adam, our flesh, in that we all die. But in this new man from heaven, Jesus, all who believe will live because he has defeated the corruption of our sin. And Jesus' natural body was weak. It was affected by the corruption of this creation. But when he was raised, it was raised in power. All authority on heaven and earth was given to him. And, and we enter his kingdom by admitting our weakness in our sin, not through the power of our own goodness. We overcome death by faith in his power to overcome death for us in his death burial, and resurrection. Paul says this in verse 44. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. This body is natural. What's raised is spiritual. And and we can be misled with this word spiritually because culturally we think of spirit as something without form like Casper, a ghost, right? But Paul says spiritual body here. In death, we do not become a disembodied spirit. That's a human cultural myth. We are given a new body, a a spiritual one that is suited for life in a new creation that is both physical and spiritual. And, and, And Jesus says all are raised. Everyone even unbelievers, in, in John 5, 26 through 29. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all, all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Friends, no matter what you believe, you will be resurrected. And that should terrify those who have a natural worldview. That that after death, you just simply cease to exist. But you won't. Instead, you will find that you're conscious, bodily, tormented, forever. And what kind of evil could one do to deserve that? not believing in the truth that the Son of God loved you and he gave his life for you, not believing in his resurrection and instead trusting in human religion and human philosophies and and ourselves. We are saved by believing God, friends, not believing in God because the devil knows God exists, but he chooses to set himself as his own authority. And if we do the same, friends, we will receive eternal punishment. 
And today I want to ask you, are, are you following your own opinion about life and death or trusting in what a resurrected man, Jesus, says is necessary to give you life? And in verse 45, it says, Thus is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. And where was that written? In the Word of God. See, Paul doesn't even appeal to some new religion or, or new philosophy. He, he appeals to what God himself has already said when he created us. Thus, when the Lord, in Genesis 2, 7, when the Lord formed the man of dust from the ground, he breathed into his nostril the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. That word creature in the Hebrew means soul. God created us from the dust to become living beings or souls. Everything else in all creation, God spoke into existence. It didn't have that eternal soul. But for you and I, God got up close and he formed us in the dust. And then what did he do? He breathed his life into us. But because sin has entered this creation, we all die. The, the wages of our sin is death. And in verse 46, Paul says this, but it's not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. So friends, we, we don't spiritually evolve and become some enlightened being, something better like the Buddha says. The, the purpose of this life is not to improve ourselves, not to improve some dust, but to first live in the natural world and then we are perfected and in a transformation that comes from heaven. Friends, we are all born men and women of the dust. And it doesn't matter how cleaned up that dust is. It's still corrupted by sin. And we are transformed or reborn in the spirit by faith in the second man, the second Adam, Jesus, the man from heaven. And Jesus said this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of, spirit, uh, born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of Spirit is Spirit. Friends, we need to stop worrying about how we're going to die or what happens to these bodies when we die. Jesus said instead we must worry or we must be focused on being born again by the Spirit and live. In verse 40 it says, As the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. We die. And as of the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. We live eternally. Friends, stop thinking on dust, whether it is cremated or decomposing. Stop thinking on death. Think and believe in the resurrected man, Jesus, and live. Now, if you skip down to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54, Paul says this, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality then shall come to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory oh death where is your victory oh death where is your sting 
when we put our hope in the hope of the gospel, the resurrected Christ, that's what puts immortality onto this mortal frame. It, it, it takes from what is being perishable, becomes imperishable. And that's what Jesus said. Even though we die, we shall live. And, and what is death swallowed up in? What's it swallowed up in? Christ's victory on the cross. What was he victorious over? Sin. And God's word says, the sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, death is not our problem. Our problem is sin. Sin is the sting. Death is the result. Jesus destroyed sin on the cross. He put death to death. The power of sin was the law that condemned us to death. And that power is gone because Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law for us. He put it to death in his own body. What our mind should be focused on is our victory in Jesus. That is what saves us, not this body of dust and death. To enter heaven, we must be transformed by the renewing of our minds that happens by grace through faith in his victory. Jesus said in John 6, 63, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Friends, stop worrying about things that apply to this flesh, death, sin, and condemnation from the law. Believe his words, the words of Jesus, and you will live by the spirit forever. Today, repent, turn from man's thoughts and philosophies about death that only lead to death spiritually. Believe on Jesus. Die to your sin with him. Be buried or baptized in his spirit and let him raise you into new life, eternal life, free from the fears about death. Because that sting of death it's gone. The sting of sin is gone to the praise of his glorious grace. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Your word that brings life through the Spirit. Thank you for your Son, Jesus, that always spoke the truth to set us free. And Father, I pray this morning that there may be some people here freed of the fear of death, freed from that over-consuming thought of death, and that they would turn to you in repentance right now and believe that you walked out of the grave in the body and live. Oh, Father, do a mighty work today. Bring life through the power of your Spirit. Send the Holy Spirit to convict our hearts of our sin. Send the Holy Spirit to convict our hearts of your goodness and your love towards us that you sent your son to die for us and set our hearts to do it now, to not delay because you're coming soon. 
coming soon to judge the earth. And those that have not repented will go forever into eternal torment. But those that turn to you will have life abundantly for all eternity in a body that we can't imagine, that feels no pain or death or sadness or sickness, but joy all the time. Father, what wonders and marvels you've created in this creation. And these are nothing compared to what you have for us in the new creation. So let us repent of this cult of death that we live in and turn to the belief of reality in the Lord Jesus Christ who loved us and gave his life for us and rose on the third day. Father, do a mighty work in hearts right now. In Jesus' name I pray.